Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where I bring the best founders and investors to help you scale up business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest comes from Tel Aviv, Israel, but also present in the US. His name is Boaz, the CEO at Wisdom Elf. Boaz, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. And uh, you have an amazing story, an amazing background, and uh, better than myself presenting you. What about sharing your story uh, with, with our community? Happy to. Um, so hi, everyone. Um, my name is Boaz. I'm the founder and CEO of Wisdo Health. Uh, Wisdo uh, is a social health company. Uh, we improve people's health by making sure that they're introduced to the right people online uh, and make sure that the connections that we recommend indeed uh, improve their health. Um, very happy to be here. Sounds sounds amazing. And uh, I know that what Wisdo is today uh, have been through multiple iterations until we, you got here as in any uh, startup. But maybe just to give a context for the audience, where are you in terms of stage of growth, any metrics that you can share, any funding rounds, et cetera, just to give a little bit of context, headcount, if you if you can disclose those kinds sure. of things. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how close we are to a trillion between the million and the trillion. <laughs> exactly. we're, we're like most companies, we're somewhere in between. Exactly. Um, we are, uh, we believe at an exciting uh, junction because we're really at that moment of, you know, a, a really, you know, an interesting inflection point with healthcare in general, trying to find platforms that can help people move away from loneliness. So, we spent about um, almost two years working with um, major leaders in health, uh, primarily uh, Humana, um, uh, which is an what? exceptional um, health insurance uh, leader uh, who uh, was interested in piloting uh, our, the effectiveness of our pilot of, of our platform. Uh, those results are published this month, so uh, we're out there promoting. Uh, a white paper that demonstrates um, a massive reduction in uh, loneliness, uh, in a massive increase in quality of life, um, and uh, opportunities to refer people to additional services that they might not have been ready to take a look at if they were still lonely. And because 60% of Americans 50 plus are um, sometimes too often lonely, which is a staggering number, uh, we're really experiencing um, a lot of incoming uh, of companies who want to make sure that they can sponsor members onto Wisdo and address that problem, uh, mm -hmm. which is, you know, devastating to people's health, but also devastating to the, you know, the, the overall cost of healthcare. Yeah. So we are at that point where we're uh, signing new deals. Uh, hopefully we're going to end the year with four or five new relationships and um a few you know um, millions in in annual revenues so we can really continue to build the company and solve this problem which we believe is very urgent yeah. so you you have both uh, maybe uh, thinking about the the pain which is to solve or address the pain of uh, loneliness and the consequences of lonely loneliness that people typically think about 
just mental health, but there is also physical health as an impact on that. And of course, the, the costs of healthcare, uh, as you as you were saying, right? So and uh, and and your platform has some quite unique uh, a quite unique approach to solve the problem, right? And uh, mm -hmm. namely, ensuring that that you are able to be paired with with the right person that has been facing a similar uh, issue uh, as you are facing today, without having kind of the social media. Um, buzz or distraction uh, but maybe you you can explain much better than myself <laughs> uh, i can try um yeah so you know the good news is that the, there's a realization and, and you know very honestly covid and uh, the covid crisis really accelerated the understanding that there's mental health um and there's physical health and then there's social health so um, if you are not surrounded by people and it doesn't matter if it's online or offline that you can speak honestly to, that you can confide in, that you can ask ask for support from, um, right. and even if they're not people, they're not people around you that you can help, then um, you will feel lonelier than needed, and then that is going to affect your mental and physical health, and that that has been proven in a multitude of use cases. The problem, of course, is that. Um, loneliness can only be solved by other people. Um, you know, it's a, it's a human interaction uh, versus an interaction with a bot or an interaction with a professional, if it's a psychologist or some, something else. Those things do not necessarily reduce loneliness. What reduces loneliness is a human being who's able to sit down with you and say, I understand, I've been there. You know, we're, we're, uh, I'm sure there are a few entrepreneurs on this call. So imagine that you're going through a crisis as an entrepreneur. You can't raise money. You're, yep. you know, you're the best engineer had just been, you know, has just resigned. <laughs> He's got an offer from ChatGPT, uh, and, and it feels very lonely. Now, a psychologist is not going to help. Your mom is not going to help. Right. An online program is going to help. The only thing that is going to help is, is if Mike will, if Mike is going to say, hey, there's this guy that went through the exact same thing. And I really want you to have a conversation with that guy. And that, that can be replicated to any life experience. It doesn't matter if it's starting a company, going through anxiety, building a house, getting divorced, going through weight issues. That human component that was always part of the human experience, for some reason, has been neglected uh, over the past decade or two, uh, and even worse, has been uh, kind of uh, left to platforms that would, were not originally built to solve loneliness. They were they were built to you know social networks were built to um, you know to 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 raise engagement to sell ads. I mean these are ad driven platforms. They're not a healthcare product. So that gap over the years has, has gotten bigger and bigger. What we are trying to do and are doing is uh, taking a more scientific and measure, measured approach to um, figuring out who are the people, and it's not one, it's not two, it's probably you know, a few you know, dozens of people a year that um, we think that you should chat with and add to your support network because they answer to three very important criteria. Mm -hmm. One is the bid in your shoes. 
So somewhere in the world, there are people who are like Mike, um, people who, if you met them on the train and you would spend three minutes introducing yourself, you would say, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't believe it. It's like, you know, we've been living the same life. And chances are that you and that person is, is going to have, or you're going to have a wonderful conversation for like six hours on that train. Yep. So we know how to find those people. Uh, there's a method that we use where people kind of map out themselves and then um, are um, matched with people that we think that can be um, helpful to them. Because again, A, they've been in their shoes. Mm -hmm. The second, and very importantly, they've been ranked as helpful by other people on the platform. Got it. So people are not ranked by how popular they are, how attractive they are, mm -hmm. how many followers they have, all that really interesting information that means absolutely nothing uh, in the worlds of social health. Um, that's the second criteria. And people on Wisdom get the opportunity to rank and rate the level of conversations that they're having with other people. Yeah. And lastly, people are engaged. People who, who are there, if you're going to reach out to someone, chances are they're going to respond fairly quickly. So you will not feel as if you went through all the trouble of reaching out to someone and that person is not responding. So we know how to make those connections. And then the last part, which is pretty important in, in healthcare, mm -hmm. once a month, we invite people to check in and answer a list of questions, which are taken right. from what is today the standard uh, measurement for measuring loneliness. It's called the UCLA scale. Mm -hmm. So people answer those questions when they join. So we know if they're not lonely, if they're lonely, or if they're severely lonely, and then once a month, we bring that check-in again so we can see whether the connections that we've uh, um, been recommending, are they indeed helping that person move towards social health? And if not, we'll make some adjustments. Um, so that is really the approach that we took. Um, from a you know, scale point of view, um, you know, mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about this you know, previously. Um, you know, there are two kind of uh, I'd say schools. One is, you know, create an MVP and then run as fast as you can and, you know, raise money right. and grow the business. You will figure it along the way. We kind of took another approach, um, which is, and I, I don't know what the right approach is, but we spent <laughs> years on, on perfecting this. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, this is like five, six years of, of, improving and improving and improving the product and then starting working with healthcare and then introducing the measurements and the publishing uh you know some white papers and now these this, these uh white papers are going to be published in peer reviewed uh magazines and publications um and now we're trying to um you know share more uh with with some other folks and tell our stories so we can get um so we can accelerate our scale up so you you kind of be, have been focused on building the best product in the market to to solve this problem, right? So that that was right. your initial um, focus or number one priority uh, and ensuring that the product worked to have eye engagement, retention um, before moving into more B2B2C and understanding who would be paying uh, for for the service. Because maybe that that's some of the questions that the audience might be asking themselves is, so how the business model, and usually in, in, in healthcare, it's always much more complex because you have a lot of the stakeholders in the, in the process. 
So who is using and who is paying might not be the same uh, person, right? Yeah, so we we started you know, like many other uh, you know platforms that ended up uh, identifying an opportunity to work with healthcare. We started as a consumer app, um, mm -hmm. and that is why we, as you said, we were so focused on engagement and retention, all these things. And we were, you know, we we did have a subscription um, kind of uh, uh, framework in place, and there was a paywall. And you know our 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 view is that if people are happy to spend um, or willing to spend whatever you know twenty or thirty or forty dollars um, a month on anywhere anything between Netflix and you know Noom and, and other subscription uh, businesses, right. and a sense of healthy connections is going to be over time something that people would prefer to pay to make sure that they they do receive the quality connections that we know how to make. And we were on that route. Um, COVID really changed our uh, strategy in that respect, because as soon as loneliness became something that, uh, you know, Vivek Murthy, the current Surgeon General, likes to um, say that loneliness is as urgent and as uh, prevalent in the U.S. as smoking and diabetes, and he came with that wow. view into his um, position as Surgeon General. So suddenly, everyone was talking about loneliness, and um, since there's a realization that loneliness ends up costing, um, you know, quite a few, uh, quite a lot of money, uh, ARP uh, has done some work on quantifying the added cost of someone who lacks what they call social protective uh, layers versus people who are older and do. Uh, and the number that they ended up coming up with is $6,000. Um, so a, a person who's completely lonely, completely vulnerable, uh, doesn't have supportive uh, networks, uh, is at risk of costing $6,000 more than uh, an older adult that does have access to these type of networks. That's that's the work that United Healthcare and ARP did. And then Cigna did a similar uh, investigation into the added costs for people who are employed Americans, people who are younger, and they came up with a number 4,200. So as soon as there's a the, 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 there became a, a realization that loneliness is a very costly problem, and right. this needs to be solved, then the only question is, you know, can we as a, as a healthcare organization, uh, an insurance company, employer, et cetera, can we partner with uh, platforms that uh, can demonstrate that they uh, help people feel healthier? Uh, so chances are that using the right measurements, this would predict uh, a cost in uh, medical costs and if so, is the reduction in those measures, uh, measures big enough um, to justify a certain price point? Uh, and and you know, and we we've been able to show using these two measurements, UCLA and another one called Unhealthy Days, both of which are closely uh, connected to costs in multitude of studies, mm -hmm. that we can reduce them within ninety days to a degree that makes it. Um, you know, financially um, compelling to right. uh, uh, companies pay us, you know, anywhere between a hundred to a hundred and you know eighty dollars per member per year. 
uh, and since they're 111 million insured Americans were lonely, uh, then suddenly we, we became a really interesting um, you know, proposition uh, from a business perspective as well. Got it. So I, I imagine that's your typical go-to-market for, for health tech. It's also employers and insurance companies uh, right. that you are selling to, right? So, yep. And that, that's why you also need to have all that evidence, those numbers to, to be able to, to go through the process. And it's also kind of a, an enterprise motion in a long sales cycle, right? Very long sales cycle, um, but a sales cycle that doesn't have any chance of um, succeeding unless you have some proof um, right. that you work, uh, and um, unless you have, unless that proof is based on, again, measurements that um, the the market, and, and by that I mean not necessarily the financial, uh, you know, uh, people, uh, the the P and L folks or the you know people who are looking looking at this as a financial issue, but. Uh, the uh, the medical professionals uh, identify as measurements that indeed, if you're able to move them, then you are helping. You are improving people's health. So one recommendation that I can share with people on the call is that if you are in healthcare uh, or if you have a wellness program or a wellness product and you're trying to sell it to employers and to health insurance companies, it's worth really making sure that the measurement, that A, you have measurements and it's not only, hey, do you right. love our product? One to 10, <laughs> yeah, we love our product, great. Uh, no, uh, you will have to introduce measurements that are universally recognized as um, uh, indicative of someone moving towards health. And then you will have to prove that you can improve those measurements over time. And you will have, unfortunately, to you know, try as much as you can and, you know, do it again and again and again and, and until the product is ready uh, to be shown to some other folks. Um, otherwise, it's, it's going to be a really good conversation, but it will in all probability lead nowhere. Typically in these cases, and, and you, you might want to relate more to your own personal experience because every single company uh, has its own uh, specificities. Uh, did or you start... Sorry. Yeah, with uh, employers or insure or health plans, uh, what do you think it's easier to start with uh, when you are moving into this B two B two C motion? I I actually would recommend if you have you know if you have the stomach for it and if you have the runway for it, etc. Um, I would I would recommend starting as a consumer app. Um, okay. And uh, 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 even if you want to end up becoming a healthcare product, and the reason is. Got that um, companies who, I mean, I mentioned Noom, Noom is a good example, and, and Headspace mm -hmm. is certainly a good example, you know, Calm right. is a good example. The most successful, um, you know, companies out there that are able to sell to, um, you know, employers or insurance companies, you know, in a B2B2C cycle are companies who previously spent years on trying to, you know, perfect the user experience. Right. Uh, and the reason that that's important is because one of the biggest problems in healthcare is engagement. Um, if you think that engagement is low for just you know the general population who downloads apps from the App Store or Google Play, imagine what happens with someone who is ill. Um, engagement levels are even lower. And if you're a healthcare provider, 
Um, you know, one of our uh, uh, you know advisors and, and and supporters is Tom Insel, who used to be the the director of the National Institute of Mental Health, um, and he he says often that the biggest problems in the biggest problem in healthcare is lack of engagement. Um, you have all these tools, but no one is picking them up. So if you are able to step in and say, "Here's what we do. Here's evidence that it works." But also, you know, from the 10,000 people who joined in January, you know, 8,000 are still there in, you know, April, then people would go, wow, that's, that is really interesting. Because really, from a healthcare perspective, what it gives you the opportunity to do is stay close to people's journeys. And if someone is right. doing this well, maybe intervene and make sure they can uh, veer towards health before you know, the condition deteriorates and loneliness becomes depression uh, or uh, right. you know, anxiety becomes severe anxiety. And, um, you know, uh, someone who, who had um, a uh, issue with food insecurity or, you know, uh, 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 someone who's suffering from obesity, suddenly, you know, a year after that, because that was neglected, this, this has become a life-threatening problem. Yeah, so kind of start B2C, focus on the product and on the member, on the user, ensure that there is a high engagement, retention, uh, kind of also measure uh, what are those parameters that you can prove that uh, your product is helping to improve the health of, of your members. And of course, also the, the ROI calculator when you start creating your value position to uh, the B2B uh, go-to-market uh, motion. And in that B2B go-to-market motion, any experience on where is it better to start with the, with employers or with insurance uh, companies or health plans? Or... You know, it's uh, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. I mean, yeah. both have their uh, merits and, and you know, yeah. uh, and both... Uh, uh, sales cycles have their um, challenges. Mm -hmm. um, the The benefit of the employer market is that usually they move quicker. Got it. Um, and there are more people that you are trying to you know chat with and close deals with. Yeah. The big the you know the benefit of working with a health insurance plan is that they're very you know professional and medical minded. So um, it's it's really. A, a, uh, an opportunity to close certainly for us it was an opportunity to close uh any and every learning curve that we had to close because you know these guys have been looking at this problem for for probably longer than anyone and right. uh if you can meet their standard then that's a very high standard. So if you are able to meet that standard and then you go out and speak to employers, then uh, you know that gives you um, added credibility. Um, I, I think you know my, my, my advice to people is uh, try to find where there's a natural tie-in between what you do and what either employers or insurance companies are looking for because it's gonna be very difficult to cheat uh, you know, that process and say, well, you know, really we're doing something that is more interesting for employers, but I, I, I've decided that I'm going to try to sell to, uh, to insurance companies. It, it's sort of, you know, if you're, uh, if you're helping with productivity, um, and your product that is only effective in people who are, 
um, younger, then chances are that employer is going to be a more natural place. Got it. Makes makes a lot of sense. Still on on the go to market um, component, uh, we have a lot of cases of uh, a lot of success cases of Israeli companies expanding uh, across the US. Do you see Israel as a pilot market or just as the tech hub and expanding from from day one to the to the US market? How did it work for for Wisdo? So you know, Israel is a, is a, is a is a really good place to start a company because there's a lot of innovation. Yeah. Uh, people are stubborn. <laughs> uh, and, resilient. <laughs> yeah, they're they're resilient, and you know they've gone through a thing or or two in life before they started the company. Uh, you know they're not straight out of college. You know, chances are they've been in the army. Right. You know they they're a little older. Um, and, uh, you know, they're very kind of determined at the same time, it's, just, it's a very, it's a small country. So, um, you know, I think the dynamic is if you start something and it works, then, uh, you know, this is a very, very small market and everyone speaks the strange ancient language called Hebrew. Uh, so, you know, there's never going to be enough people, um, in Israel to support what you build. So the natural dynamic is you start something seems to work and then you say okay so how do i you know where do i go with this product to find enough people who can really you know uh, make this work and then and then you know people eventually migrate into primarily the us because i think uh, you know the us and israel have a very strong uh, you know two way street in terms of investments mm-hmm. um, so um, you know that that is that is what usually happens Right. And typically in, in your case, did you consider East Coast or West Coast to, to start with? Well, we, we from an investment point of view, we uh, ended up being more, um, uh, you know, attractive to West Coast uh, investors. Uh, you know, this is a, uh, you know, big idea. Um, and it's something that, you know, West Coast investors were attracted by uh, when we started out. Um, East Coast, yeah, you, you're you know right to to maybe imply that East Coast usually is more kind of healthcare minded, um, but you know East Coast are um, you know very very ROI very revenue driven, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but when we right. started out, you know we we just had a, a kind of you know very very uh, compelling story and uh, and a very and very effective pilot. So we ended up connecting with a bunch of healthcare investors who are uh, value-based. Uh, and as the companies evolved, um, we ended up, you know, um, attracting some additional investors from uh, from the East Coast as well. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, we know that this is one of the main challenges of, um, of leading a, an health tech company or digital health company is to to be able to have a kind of a B2C and the B2B mindset at the same time. So it's almost uh, usually in startups in general, outside of health tech, we would say you need to decide if you want to go B2C or yeah. B2B. It's very difficult to build a team uh, that has skills to do both. Uh, so you need to go for one. And in, in health tech, we need even in the B2B2C model, we need to be able, as you said, to have a, a product that has an amazing 
uh, UX-wide amazing experience for the users and of course at the same time understand how to navigate the complexity of uh, the B2B uh, enterprise um, deals. And at the same time, you still have another component, which is all the healthcare jargon and understanding the system, yeah. understanding those that evidence. So for an entrepreneur that is trying to build a startup and scale it, it's it's a huge challenge to start a digital health company. Uh, any lessons learned uh, becoming maybe also because you, you, you followed more the B2C approach kind of as a lab before evolving into the B2B2C uh, model. Uh, how has been your uh, experience building this healthcare executive uh, in, in, in you? <laughs> um, well, you know, it's it's not easy. Um, and, and I think people who, um, who expect this to be easy are going to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's, it's not uh, uh yeah to say the least um um so yeah you know i can offer some some insights that i wish I, someone would would have told me um uh i think that um uh you know don't don't forget that uh, that at the end of the day you're going to be in the hands of a person so even if you're selling to i mean companies who sell b2b like pure b2b like you know, uh, 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 whatever platforms who organize, you know, appointments and and that kind of type of stuff, use internally within the healthcare organization. That's another story. But if you are at the end of the day, uh, going to be in the hands of a patient, in the hands of a member, then uh, then that really is is what's going to matter. Uh, I I really you know firm believer that if you are able to produce something that would get the end user excited and he would he would go wow this is this is really cool uh you know this is great i really am enjoying using it then all the rest of it somehow if you you know if you don't give up and if you're stubborn and if you're resilient all the rest of it is going to somehow you know sort 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 itself out so that is one thing that i would say find great product people um, you know, stay close to the data, um, act as if you're a consumer, you know, B2C guy, look at conversions, look at retention, you know, talk to users, uh, ask why it's not working, forget about the payments, for, just concentrate on the experience. And, I, and, and actually, you know, I don't want to mention name, but, but names, but I know a lot of healthcare companies who closed including companies who raised north of a hundred million dollars because wow. that, that part of the business got neglected. Um, I'd say, you know, another, another insight is um, probably there's going to be a lot of turnover in your company. Uh, you know, when you change from B2C to B2B2C, when you're moving from, you know, right. uh, it's, you know, it's going to create some anxiety um, internally. Um, right. So, and, and and I think you know people will say, well, you know, uh, you know, communicate that to the team and and be a leader. Yes, all that is great, but people are going to leave. So I think if you can identify at least two or three people that are core um, and keep them and be honest with them and uh, make sure that you can turn to them, then. Um, 
then that's going to be really important because otherwise you will, you know, you will crash and burn. Uh, you, you can't keep everyone. You have to keep yourself. You know, you're very important to the company. You have to have these two, three people that you can talk to, that you can rely on, even if it's not a co-founder, even if it's a, you know, senior person, uh, someone that you can trust. Uh, in those low moments, I, I think that's really, really key from my perspective. Um, and, um, you know, um, make sure you have enough capital, make sure that you uh, don't run out of money, uh, be very capital efficient as, 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 you know, as much as you can, you know, all of us um, are always going to run into, you know, runway issues sooner or later. It doesn't matter, you know, how much money you raised, Everyone, everyone, you know, needs more money, more, more runway than they have. But I, I and I think that's also very um, uh, common to Israeli companies, uh, for better or worse. We're very, you know, we are. It's very hard for us to wrap our heads around the idea of, you know, hiring a huge complex and spending a ton of right. money on PR and a ton of money on this and ton of money on that. We're much more um, lean in our, mm -hmm. you know, DNA. Uh, so, so even if you, you know, even if, even if your board and investors are pushing you to spend more money, if you believe right. that is not core, then, you know, be strong enough and honest enough to turn to them and say, no, uh, well, you know, I'm not going to do this. If you want to write me a check now for 5 million uh, so I can do this, great. But I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, I'm not going to run out of money in six months because we, you think it's a really good idea to hire, you know, the former designer of whatever, uh, you know, um, the Apple watch. Uh, no, we're, we, we can't afford this and, and we're not going to do it. So, those are three insights that I, I wish someone would have maybe told me earlier on. Amazing uh, insights, uh, Boas. And um, do you have a, a co-founder or are you a solo founder? Um, I used to have several co-founders. Uh, we uh, separated along the way. Um, and uh, today I have, you know, a very strong, very, um, you know, trusting team. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can, uh, I can name three or four of them that I really, you know, view as, um, people that I trust blindly, even if they're not co-founders. Right. Sounds, sounds great. And, um, and, and in terms of the, of course you were saying that it's really important to always having a runaway and being, uh, having money, money at the bank. Uh, any fundraising lessons in from in especially now in a in a rocky market? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just um, don't treat it as um, uh, in, uh, something that that you're forced to do. That it's uh, you know essentially when you're asking people for money. Um, and it's not easy to do and it's not fun to do because you get you're gonna get a lot of no's. Um, but uh, you know, you're asking people for money. You know, if I if I would come to you, Mike, and I'd say, Hey, listen, I need a hundred thousand uh, dollars. I have a really good idea. It's like, well, 
why do you want me to you know it's like it's you're asking people for money at the end of the day and put your put yourself right. in their shoes it's not easy so you know right. be respectful of the fact that uh you're you're you know asking people to gamble on you on you and your idea and right. and give them you know give them credit by trying to prepare the best pitch that you can tell the best story right. Uh, you know, this is not something that you want to try and get done as quickly as possible because you, you know, you really can't go wait to go back to the company and and do what matters. No, that's not going to work. You, you, you have to treat this as if this is an important part of your of of running a company. Um, these are smart guys um, and they've seen a zillion pitches and. And, and one asset that I can you know recommend for people who are interested in getting better at pitching, there's a book called uh, Pitch Anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think the guy's name is Oren Clough. Um, um, and um, you know he talks about um, how you know simplicity uh, is is really the key for uh, telling good pitch. Uh, instead of you know we we have um, mm-hmm. since we're all um, you know, data uh, and and uh, um, specific detail-oriented uh, individuals, we have this illusion that if we come into the room and bombard people with information, then they'll they'll get convinced that we're right. Exactly. But that's not that is not the way to to do this. You have to walk into the room, essentially say everything is okay. You know, I'm not threatening you. I'm not going to bombard you with information. I'm just going to tell you a very simple story. Um, you know, I'm going to tell you things that you know already. There's this problem. You know, we're solving this problem. Here's how we're solving this problem. Here's what people are willing to pay. I believe this can be big. You know, we're raising this and that. I think it makes sense. What do you think? And 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 that's it. And that's it. Sounds sounds great, and uh, and it also relates with your background, right? So you started as a journalist, and then you you started building companies after that. Can you share uh, a bit more? So that's also it. It helps you to articulate well uh, your story. Yeah, I think storytelling is you know is key. Um, I was a journalist for twenty years um, of my life. Um, Amazing. Loved it. I still miss it. Um, still, you know, write the odd story when I can't contain myself. Um, but I think, I think, you know, I, I, I tell this to my journalist friends who are, you know, unfortunately, in many cases, looking for jobs because, you know, journalism used to be a very, um, you know, thriving industry. Um, and, you know, over time, uh, it kind of ran out of money and ran out of business models. But, um, you know, one thing that journalists or, or two things that journalists have in common with entrepreneurs, one is they're scrappy. So it's like, go and bring the story. You know, there's a guy <laughs> and it's really like that, you know, um, you know, this, you know, this guy I just heard a tip about this guy has an amazing story, uh, you know, try to get him. It's OK. So but but, you know, how? I, I don't know. You know, good luck. <laughs> and you have to somehow make it work. So journalists are scrappy and entrepreneurial in that respect. 
um, and they learn to rely on their instincts and they learn to uh, not to count on you know resources or the ideal circumstance to to you know bring the story so that i think is something that uh entrepreneurs and journalists have um and i think the second thing is 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 yes um the storytelling part really the storytelling part is figuring out what is the minimal uh with the minimum version of what you're trying to tell because again if i'm if i'm out there you know, if you're spending a week shadowing whatever Joe Biden, or you know, mm -hmm. uh, um, you, your editor sent you to spend a week on a on a you know white lotus like uh, uh, you know hotel in, in Italy, if you're very lucky, <laughs> you can't tell all of it, right? You know, if you had to tell all of it, it would take you know you had to write like 15 books. So what you do as a journalist, you try to distill. The, the minimum version of what you need to tell for people to understand the whole experience. And that is really what we often do as entrepreneurs when, when we hire people, when we raise money, when we do podcasts. You know, I, I can't tell yeah. all of it, but I, but I can try and tell a version of it that would be simple enough and distilled enough so people would be, uh, people would get an idea of what the uh, you know the bigger structure is. So, wow. yeah, if you're a journalist and you're out of work, and you want you want your life to become even harder, become an entrepreneur. <laughs> That's a great pitch. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I know I sold it. I know. I know people are are you know very eager now to do it. Exactly. And uh, and let's go into the last segment of the show, Boaz. Uh, if you would have the opportunity to meet yourself at the beginning of Wisdom in 2016, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Yeah, well, we when we had this conversation earlier, I told you, you know, run, uh, but no. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, I'm sure you get this from a lot of people. Um, I would say to myself, uh, listen, this is going to be a long haul. Uh, so take a deep breath and, um, and you know, prepare yourself for a very long uh, journey. Um, it's going to have highs, it's going to have lows, but you're doing it for the right reasons. You're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for a paycheck and you're not doing it for, um, you know, to prove something to someone. You, you're doing it because you went through a personal experience where we can you know, talk about at some point, but I think most entrepreneurs have it. You went through something that was so painful that you decided to try and save that pain from other people. That is the only reason that you're doing this. And that is the only thing that will sustain you uh, uh, during this very long journey. So don't forget that. And don't expect this to be over in, you know, two, three years. It's going to take a while. So I think that that is one thing that I would say. Um, I think, you know, uh, in all honesty, I think, you know, I think in hindsight, uh, the, uh, the team that we had starting out could have been uh, better. Um, and it took a while until, you know, the, 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 there was a match between what, what we're doing and the people who are doing it. They're all great people, by the way, but, you know, not necessarily for that, this specific company. Um, so I would tell myself, you know, 
uh, I know that you're uh, at a rush to start and you want to, you know, you want to get this off the ground already, but take your time, make sure that the people you're starting this with are not only great people and experienced people, but people who are ideal for this specific company. And, um, and, you know, and if, if you think that they're not ideal, not good, ideal, mm -hmm. then it's worth another month, another two months, another four months on, you know, making sure that you find the right people. And maybe you'll, you'll, you'll stay friends with these guys and maybe, maybe you'll do something else. But, but right. for this specific company, there's somewhere out there, there are people who are ideal for this specific company and, and go and try and find them. Right. Great advice. What are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Um, I'm proud of our resilience. I'm proud of the fact that we haven't given up. Um, and I, I'm very proud. I'm mostly proud of the fact that because of the fact that we were resilient, we ended up coming with a product, which is, you know, um, I'm not objective, but, uh, <laughs> the product is, is really, you know, beautiful. I mean, it's, it's really something that so much work and so much thought and so much design and so much, uh, you know, uh, failures have been invested in this product that it's just, you know, just aesthetically speaking, uh, you know, as a former journalist and as a, you know, there are a lot of books right. behind me, uh, you know, someone who does have an aesthetic appreciation, I think the product that we ended up building for a very difficult problem is really exceptional. And I'm very proud of that. Awesome. Worst advice ever received? Wow, that's a good question. Worst advice? Um... Yeah, well, uh, I can I can think of several <laughs> worst advices. Uh, one of them is, uh, you know, uh, don't don't you know uh, don't say that or don't open that up, and you know it'll pass, it'll be okay. You know, keep it in your stomach. Don't <laughs> don't open that door. It's a that's a word. It's a horrible piece of advice. Just, you know, it's a lot of, you know, wasted time and, and you know, and, and energy that gets wasted while, you know, if it's just, hey, God, hey, listen, I want to tell you something. Sit down, you're, you know, you're a big boy. I'm a big boy. You know, the here, you know, ABC and let's move on. Um, so, you know, and I, I can think of several moments where people, you know, told me, well, you know, it's a relationship. You want to, don't want to do it. And that was a mistake. I think uh, getting things out of the open is the best way to, you know, to save everyone time. Mm -hmm. um, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, hire that consultant. That's uh, another bad <laughs> uh, Hire that very, very expensive consultant because he's great. Uh, I think that that usually turns out to be a bad piece of advice because you know if someone is good, that good, then uh, you know either try to hire the person or find someone who's a little less great but is willing to commit a hundred percent of his energies on um, you know on helping you succeed. 
And if he's so successful um, and you know so talented, then there has to be a way to find a way to work with this person where it doesn't cost so much money. Often when when people come in and say, you know I'm, I'm a genius and you know I'm going to cost you, Ten thousand dollars. I'm exaggerating. Uh, I never pay anyone that type of money. <laughs> say someone comes in and say, "Listen, uh, Mike, I can turn you into a billionaire. Just pay me ten thousand dollars an hour, and I work with all hundred hundreds of successful companies." And it's like, well, if you're working with hundreds, why why do you need to charge ten thousand dollars an hour? Right. Um, so you know, there's this um, phrase that I learned from my American friends. Um, Coin operated, you know, people who you need to feed. Um, some of them are good, but if if they're so if they're very very expensive and they're working with a ton of companies and they're consultants, I think chances are that they're not going to be so um, uh, uh, the, invested. The, the invested and and also just the benefit that you would end up seeing from them is going to end up being minimal. Got it. And finally, the resource, uh, the resources. So your favorite book, business or non-business? My favorite book is uh, a book by uh, an American playwright uh, by the name of uh, David Mamet, uh, mm -hmm. who wrote a beautiful book about writing uh, and the art of writing called Three Uses of the Knife. Uh, recommended, recommend that book highly. Great edition work of genius awesome and your favorite movie or series my favorite series is obviously breaking bad uh <laughs> so that's an easy one uh and my favorite movie um probably the goodfellas uh yeah by scorsese and, and those those guys right. and finally your favorite podcasts uh, excluding this one <laughs> um there's a podcast by a guy called um jonathan goldstein called heavyweight uh, which i think is really brilliant um every episode or podcast there's a um someone who's been carrying a load hence mm -hmm. heavyweight uh for years you know uh since they were children they haven't dealt with that issue. And Jonathan, who's a really funny guy, this Canadian uh, Jewish guy, um, mm -hmm. helps them solve that problem. And it's it's really lovely. Amazing. Uh, this is a great one. I will check it out. Uh, Boas, thanks so much for making the time. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, you are always invited to come back to share Thank the progress in the next man. chapters of your story. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Really enjoyed it. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. Uh, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your company. See you soon yeah. and keep scaling.